What's up, podcast people? This is Christopher Coleman, and you are listening to The Soundcast, the official podcast of tracksounds.com. And on the line today, we have a special guest, a composer who's written scores for over 50 films, including the likes of Eagle Eye, The Expendables, Rambo, Law Abiding Citizen, and Constantine. Uh, he's been nominated and has won uh, a variety of awards, uh, including an Emmy nomination. He's been nominated by the International Film Critics Association. Um, he's won five ASCAP Film Music Awards for Eagle Eye, Fast Furious, Law Abiding Citizen, uh, Final Destination, and Constantine. Most recently, in fact this year, uh, you've heard his work in the film Battle Los Angeles, and just last month, the release of Fast Five. Of course, I'm talking about none other than composer Brian Tyler. Brian, welcome back to the Soundcast. How are you? Oh, good. Thanks. That was a nice introduction. Oh, good. Well, uh, yeah, but you <laughs> I have like an that. E- I was writing it down so I could, you know, <laughs> take it to uh, interviews and whatnot when I'm up for something. It, it should sound familiar. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> but thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's great to talk to you again. It's been uh, a couple of years since we last talked, which you were in the midst of your um, Fast, Fur- Fast and Furious uh, and Dragon Ball Z kind of time. And yeah. uh, so there's been a little time in between uh, now and then. But it seems like every time we talk, uh, there's just a plethora of titles um, that you have just released or are working yeah. on. And it seems like that's just par for the course for you. <laughs> it does seem that way. Uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things that cuts down on uh, weekend time. But uh, I wouldn't want to have it any other way. I love composing and so you know yeah. i'm glad to be working on films with you know increasingly over time you know people that you work with over and over again and um and people that you call friends and sure and and i've got a good crew of people from music editors to everyone it's a, it's 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 great it's kind of a you know a thing that just it's 24 7 definitely but i dig it yeah, yeah. Well, it comes out in your in your music, and, and you talked about relationships that you've built with with certain folks in the industry. Uh, yeah. I'm I'm imagining one of those people is is Justin Lin. Um, yeah, being that you re- he's released his third uh, film from the Fast and Furious franchise, and you've done all three scores. Um, was that a relationship that came from UCLA, or how did where did that well, relationship come from? It's so interesting. We went to UCLA together at about the same time. I think he was a year ahead of me. Um, uh, or, yes, yes, I think he graduated or started one year ahead or something along those lines. But basically, we were there roaming around the campus at the same time, and we never met. Wow. Um, I mean, it's not, you know, I guess that much of a surprise with a campus of 45,000 people. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, you know... Um, we we had uh, and in fact I think um, there's an executive that we work with Jeff Kirschenbaum that was there as well that well, I didn't know but um, later we kind of ended up meeting up and um, once we were doing our thing in the film industry um, and you know more than that but Justin and I have all sorts of things that go way back we played basketball we were both huge Lakers fans went to UCLA on and on and on but uh, we didn't meet up until. 2005 when uh, he was scoring his first uh, studio feature Annapolis for for Disney and I just finished the greatest game ever played 
over at Disney, and I was, I, in fact, I put finished in quotes, I was finished scoring it, but we were in the last week of the, the final mix on Greatest Game Ever Played, and, and I got the call to come in to work with him on Annapolis. So this actually, this last Fast Five is also happens to be our fifth movie together, um, in uh, as many years. What was the, f- Annapolis, you got the three, Fast and Furious, what was the, the missing And then one? Finishing the Game was the other one, which was a comedy that I did with him. Um, okay. Kind of in between Tokyo Drift and Fast and Furious, the unnamed Fast and Furious. Or not <laughs> unnamed, sorry. It was named, uh, unnumbered. <laughs> okay. uh, the one without the number. I, I seem to have done a few of those movies that are sequels that, that mysteriously lose their number. I, it was all kind of in a row. I had Rambo, no number, Fast and Furious, no number, and The Final Destination, no number. <laughs> Which, of course, I, is completely meaningless trivia, but, you know, that's, uh, I tell you that. Well, <laughs> it, it's kind of a good thing if you're working on a, a franchise that's been around so long that they said, just screw the number, <laughs> we're just going to yeah. give it a name. <laughs> but but the thing is, is that they end up bringing it back, you yeah. know. Uh, so, so, you know, Fast Five, Final, and then the Final Destination Five, um, and uh, I, I don't, I, I don't, I think Rambo has hung up his um, um, guns. I'm not sure. Well, no, who knows? We may say Rambo again someday. But um, I know that Sly is, um, you know, concentrating on Expendables. Too. Yeah, yeah. So that'll have a number. That's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that helps keep things nice and neat. ask you a little bit more about fast five um the score in, in my opinion is is the best of of the series um oh, and principally because and i want to ask you this is is that first track entitled uh, fast five is that like a new like main theme because it appears three times uh yeah. in the soundtrack in the movie which in past uh fast and furious scores i don't know if there was maybe there was and i just didn't pick up on it um a, a kind of main theme for the movie. A central theme. Yeah. No, I think what... The, the closest would actually be the, the Tokyo Drift movie where there was a, this toge theme that happens twice, which was kind of a racing theme um, that was in there. And, uh, but but the, the, the thing that I find is more effective, which I, which I think is why Fast Five works well, is that you, you, I think, need a unifying theme, and you can have character themes, which also was in, I did in Tokyo Drift with Neela, Neela Drifts, and then Dom had a theme, um, the character Vin Diesel, that is in both, that's in the last one, Fast and Furious, and also is in Fast Five. Uh, but, but those ones are, they kind of only can, you know, since they only happen when that certain character is either on screen or there's something about that character, there's not, there's no way to unify the characters. And kind of the classic Star Wars device, you know, the, the you know, well, goes way back beyond Star Wars. Even the, the world of film started with me with Star Wars. That's why I keep on referencing it as if that's the origin <laughs> too, that of is, all. 
that that you is know. a zero year right there yeah 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 right exactly <laughs> that is like we have you know asw it's That's like right. you know after star wars That's um, right. you're so here we are um asw uh 34 yep um and uh, i i i find that you know the the idea or north by northwest is a good example too uh the the central kind of movie theme that isn't necessarily character related to me is really effective and um it kind of brands your mo- movie what it's about and the style of what it is and, and with fast five the idea was to give it this you know ruckus more action feel but um then then a racy feel it, it actually doesn't sound necessarily like racing music because it's not about racing anymore now it's a heist film it's it's really, yeah, it's become a true actioneer. And, and so I, I, always, I felt like, oh, gosh, I think we can actually step it up here and do something that, that grounds the entire movie in this, in this kind of thematic vibe. So that was the goal, which, I mean, certainly if you go back to the first Fast and Furious, it would have kind of been unthinkable because it's just stylistically the movie was so different and it evolved through the series so dramatically and, and, and actually evolved probably – from the, the last two movies and the, and the greatest, um, the, the steepest curve, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, it, it definitely feels and is, a, a, it's an action film, uh, and your yeah. score is an action score. And even comparing it to Fast and Furious, I meaning the the last film uh, that you did or that was released, uh, that had, and then there's electronic elements within Fast Five, but they're much more dominant um, in the last score. Uh, yeah. And, I mean, they and they come. It seems like they increase as the as the movie and the score progresses uh, in Fast Five. But but listening through Fast and Furious again just recently, I was like, wow, this was like almost head to toe, except for in the the softer moments with the guitar and so forth. Uh, in right. Fast and Furious, it was it was just uh, electronicville going on, uh, which yeah, worked yeah. within that film. Yeah, it's kind of you know you see, and if you even go back, you you turn back the clock even further. Before I was um, scoring them, they they were uh, it was almost like house trance kind of you know vibe, and and then it started to become more scory with each consecutive movie, kind of more you know dr- more dramatically scored, and so much so also all you have to do is look at the total amount of score minutes in each movie, starting with I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was in the it was in the teens or like 19 minutes, I, I'm not sure, and it just kept increasing. By the time I got to it, is 46 minutes of score with Tokyo Drift, and now we're all the way up to 96 minutes of score. So what's happening is it's kind of making it so the songs um, aren't, the movie isn't kind of dominated by song scoring with just needle drops of unrelated groups or artists uh, that, you know, hip-hop artists and whatnot. You still have that, which is totally necessary, I think, in the ones that were chosen in in the movie were really appropriate um, and worked well, but a lot of the things that typically would be sent to, you know, um, uh, DJ Shadow or Prodigy or, you know, um, uh, Skrillex or something like that, this, uh, now, uh, in in something like Fast Five, it's, Justin will have me do the kind of, something that still, that walks the, the fine border between score and something that might sound like produced by a DJ or a group or something like that. So there, there is that element in, in Fast Five, certainly, and in, in the, the, the tracks that are, are those are, are very obviously that remote Intel, for instance. Um, but 
but at the same time, I try to kind of, I try to keep it within the world of the rest of the score too, so it doesn't feel like you're being jerked out of a dramatic kind of arc in a film. And even action films that are fun and crazy, like Fast and Five, I think Fast Five is that um, you need that creative. I mean, you need that um, that actual true dramatic arc to make you care about the characters, so you care when things blow up instead of just like, wow, that just blew up, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I think that's why it works. Justin concentrated so much on character development. You you would have no like. I think people outside of you know the movie making world, the day to day nitty gritty of making a movie, they go to a movie and I think they just assume, oh, this 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 is a fun action movie or whatever it might be this, this this looks like it's just fun and it'd be easy no it actually is really hard um, yeah. because you're 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 really trying to inject true emotion and and character arcs and things like that so people care subconsciously for what they're watching but they think that it's just kind of dumb fun and it's actually quite the opposite i find fast five was one of the most challenging projects for me and for for justin as director and chris morgan the writer and all of us to kind of actually pull it off without, you know, um, you know, without the sense of satire, you know, it was just, sure. um, but, uh, yeah, it was, well, I'm glad, you, and I'm glad people responded to it, you know? Yeah, absolutely, well, they, and they have in a big way, <laughs> a really yeah. big way. Given the shift in the in the tone from even from the last one to this one, as you've already alluded to, did that did that uh, alleviate you from having to feel like you have to one up your last score since you could kind of go in a different direction this time? Yeah, well, you know, you always do want to one up yourself. Um, there's no question about it. But I think this one is such a a, a giant leap for the franchise in terms of just as a film that it was par for the course to have to jump with it uh you you just gotta you know it, you you gotta live up to what what the movie is and you also cannot you cannot uh overstep your bounds of what a movie is in a sense whereas like you know if i was scoring some small romantic comedy and i laid down my version of some epic Lawrence of Arabia kind of theme over it would just sound ridiculous. So <laughs> in, in the same sense, you're kind of contained and sort of limited in a way to the, the scope of the film. And, and Fast Five is such a, such a bigger scope and like a, a wider canvas to paint upon that, that uh, for me it um, almost, if I did my job right, it would automatically in a sense seem like a... Um, uh, seemed like we were topping the last ones and hopefully and and um and i think this the the action music being so much more thematic this time around because of the way that we approached the story and the way the music would match the story i think that gave me like in, in a sense um a challenge but also uh, an, an advantage um going into the film okay well before we move on from fast five i have a, a tweet um from let me make sure I get his at tweet name right. It's um, uh, Shinny Jakari1991. He asked, and I think this is because he's seen the video because I tweeted it, of you uh, playing the drums and conducting uh, the, the title theme, the, the main theme for Fast Five. Uh -huh. He asks, is it harder performing drums or 
uh, or conducting? Mm. Well, uh, they are a bit of apples and oranges, I suppose. I think that conducting um, is probably harder in the sense that you are the thing that you don't see from looking at me straight on is how many different things I'm having to keep track of when I'm conducting. You're, you're depending on if if music is locked to music that you've played or not. You're constantly pushing and pulling the orchestra to either catch up with music that's drums or something that you lay down, or uh, slow down or speed up to match, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of little tiny moments that you need to hit time-wise in the picture. So I'm watching the film is playing behind the orchestra, so mm-hmm. they're not watching the film. I'm watching the film, but then I'm looking at my sheet music, making sure it's right, giving cues to the the orchestra, and then and also communicating with, you know, just orchestras and stuff. It's 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 a, it's a lot going on, and I think I think is the most misunderstood of all things in the orchestra. People don't really know what a conductor does, hmm. but um, it is something that um, takes an enormous amount of concentration and and also to get the right performance. I mean, you can you can just kind of plow through and have them just play what's on the page, but it won't it will not sound correct. It won't sound like at least what I think it should sound like if you just kind of plow through and have them just do it with no direction. And, and it essentially the, the idea would be if the orchestra got out there to play without, for me, I think the composer almost needs to conduct it because it's the person that wrote the music, but it would be almost like you know putting a bunch of actors with some scripts out on a set, mounting a camera on a tripod and having no director and walks away and see what happens. Mm-hmm. I mean, something will happen. Will it be what the director envisioned? Absolutely not. Right. Um, so, so that's kind of the idea. Uh, and and it's also kind of physically tiring. I mean, you're conducting for some six to eight hours in a, in a row. But you know, drumming is is difficult. That piece that you see on YouTube, the Fast Five piece, um, just Fast Five, the uh, recording session piece on YouTube. Anyone can find it if they're by computer, which they have to be if they're listening to this. Um, the, the the drums have to be really accurate and it's pretty fast. It's 200 beats per minute um, and it's smoking along there and doing the rolls and getting it all in there. But, I mean, I love playing drums. Well, I've been playing since I was, you know, a young kid and, uh, and um, any time it comes up that there's drums required for a score that I'm doing, I, I end up playing it. The, the strange thing that's happened to me with that video, though, is, believe it or not, people not quite in the know maybe about how things work, they, they, they send me emails like, wow, the drummer looks just like you. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> well, that's, that's out of the know for there, sure. <laughs> and, and I saw one was like, wow, the drummer looks just like the guy conducting that doesn't really know who I am. You know, some just Fast yeah. and Furious fan looking and going, wow, that's strange. Not realizing that, of course, I record the drums here at my studio, right. and then I go and conduct somewhere else, and I, right. they're recorded at separate times. Sure. <laughs> As if I needed to point that out to you. <laughs> well, I was, that was my next question, actually, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How did you pull that off? <laughs> that's hard to run between both the, that pedis- the pedestal and then back to the drum. That's, yeah, it's that's amazing, tough. isn't that? Yeah, no, it's, it's not a bit of cloning. It's not anything. It's not, it is just me at, on, on two different days. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, well, the, the the those fans not in the know appreciate that <laughs> that clarification. Yes, exactly. I, I, maybe there's one light bulb eureka out there, and the audience going, "Oh God, that's right." But 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 they won't be admitting that to anyone. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. But anyway. <laughs> 
So well, let me move on that. to a, to another uh, another five. I think you have a five thing going on, um, and that oh, is Hawaii Five O. Uh, I didn't know that you uh, were doing the music for that for that television show, and that you re-recorded the original theme that was originally composed by Morton Stevens and performed by yeah. The Ventures. And I want to ask you specifically about doing that, doing re. re- uh, re-recording that theme because so much today there's I mean there's enough um, uh, enough uh, the word just slips my mind right now um, um, ventriloquism re- no re- <laughs> reboots that's what I'm looking at reboots mannequin burners <laughs> I don't know why I'm on this ventriloquism thing I don't know either Sorry. I don't know where that came from um, <laughs> the, uh, there's enough reboots out there you, you can't keep track of them anymore and a lot of times they go a different route uh, musically but for whatever reason, they just well, I can guess at some reasons why they kept Hawaii Five O's theme. But I wanted to ask you about that. Mm. Why specifically? And then you redoing it. Um, did you do anything different to it? What was your treatment? Right. How did you handle that? Well, you know, the the origins of how we decided upon it were um, Legion. We we started kind of saying, okay, here here comes the series. And again, Alex Kurtzman and Bob Orsi, my good pals, who went to go produce it with Peter Lenkoff, they. I they had done um, produced uh, Alex and Bob had produced Eagle Eye and so they called me up and they say okay I said we're going to try rebooting Hawaii Five O one of the main things that people always ask is well, what about the theme and the initial response of kind of your you know uh, typical like executive not producers but some of the executives um, were saying okay well. Yeah, we can do the Hawaii Five O thing, but let's let's do it like a hip hop version with <laughs> MC So and So, or a you know, and and hear these guys you know saying this kind of thing, and they're it's just out of touch with like no, you can't. So I was actually kind of sent on a bit of a wild goose chase at first, um, you know, doing some. Ver- I look, I gave it my all, doing some other types of versions of it all the well, all the while saying guys, we really need to be true to the original version and just give a new recording of it, but mm-hmm. don't, try to, don't try to improve it by yeah. taking it out of what it is. And it, because there was actually a Hawaii Five O reboot in, I think, the early 90s. Starring really? Wow. Gary, yeah, starring Gary Busey. That they did a pilot and never, it was never aired. You okay. can actually find the theme song on YouTube as well for that version. And I mean, and I, I, I hate to ever denigrate anyone. It's a catastrophe. <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sure I'll run into whoever did it, like you know, next week at some restaurant. You know, what was um, it like a Depeche like, Mode version or something? Well, no, that was, you know, it, it, it was in in in. Um, no, it was it was it was nowhere near that. Okay. <laughs> um, it, it was kind of it was kind of like you know, let's let's do a. Almost a Miami Vice C kind of. Oh wow! But kind of '90s, early late '80s, early '90s synths with drum machines, and they kind of thought, "Ooh, we changed the riff to be backbeat. It'll be cool." Anyway, <laughs> it was terrible. And then, so cause there was an example of what not to do. We didn't want to do the Ventures because that was that's just kind of a nostalgic take on the original theme. So it was like, let's go back, go back in the archives, go to CBS archives where all the sheet music is and find Morton Stevens' original sheet music for it, mm-hmm. which didn't really exist, but we did the search, and I found sketches from his original 
theme that he'd sketched out for everyone before he went to record it. The problem was is it wasn't complete. And also he had things like for keyboards, he listed like six different keyboards with a question mark. <laughs> and he doesn't actually mark what it ends oh, up being. No. So, so basically I had to kind of in the end deconstruct what the original piece was just by listening to it. And then we did have a list of the musicians that played on the session because it was a union in town um, session. And then we looked up and the, today's 2000, well then it was 2010 almanac of union musicians and cross-checked it to see who was still recording these days. Hmm. So we got as many players that actually literally played on the original nice. theme as possible. Brought them in, did it live, didn't do any cheesy synth thing. We've like got all live musicians, got Abraham Laborio on bass, guitar, all these nice. just ninjas, right? <clears throat> Great play, horn players and trumpet players and put them in at Warner Brothers and that great Eastwood recording stage, and I conducted them and recorded it just with fat, you know, analog um, preamps and everything. And so we just mm -hmm. made it, just brought it, you know, basically did the exact same thing, but just brought it up to speed. And I think probably in the end, knowing me, if there's if there's a an alteration there, it was just an orchestration size. I might have done, like, it's a little bit more brass and a little bit chunkier drums, and um, the you know I probably just made it a little bit more beefy, but the, mm -hmm. but it pretty much is what it is because that classic team was just classic, and it's, yeah, it, 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 and it still is. Um, so that was the take on it, really. Okay, oh, it's very faithful to the original. I mean, and 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 that stood out to me for sure. Before we run out of time here, I want to move it along to um, another recent project of yours uh, and the title that, that got the most response on Twitter in terms of questions, and that is uh, Transformers Prime. Uh, first oh, wow. of all, congrats on the, on the Emmy nom there. Uh, mm. That's that's excellent. And, um, uh, you know, I'll say this. There, there's one of, one of our reviewers at the site, and she's also on our podcast, uh, Helen San. She lives in Peru, and she, because of restrictions that they have on the Internet down there, she can't, like, watch um, streaming video from certain sites, from most sites up here. Uh, so she couldn't watch the, the, um, the series. So she bought the series on iTunes just so she could listen to your music. Oh, so, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd pass that along to you. I That's thought that fantastic. was... fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, are we any closer to a release there? I know that that was obviously an issue and has been an issue. Yeah, this is this is something that um, you know has been has um, been something that I've I've been pushing on. Um, I've I, I feel kind of because I am a film score fan and just a score score fan in general. I know what it's like to not be able to get music that you really dig from something. It it haven't it, you know. I, I can't tell you how long I was, you know, searching for certain soundtracks just in my lifetime and just going, why did I, you know, it just, it just irked me. And so because I have that fandom in me and I know what it's like, I really felt, you know, if people enjoy this score and it kind of is in a genre that I feel that people will, um, what a shame it would be for someone not to be allowed to purchase it. I mean, you know, not... 
just like this is something that would not be stealing from uh, anyone. Is you know we put it up for sale, you know, and um, and this this goes to Hasbro, which is great, you know, and they make money and all that, so that's nice. But also, I feel that it would be something that could um, not only make the fans happy, but it's just, it's a bit of cross promotion for the show itself. You know, I've I've gotten an unusual amount of emails saying that um, that they'd heard the uh, Transformers Prime theme on my site and now they're going to go watch the show. Mm-hmm. And I keep on seeing that over and over. So, so there's something to it and if you expand that by thousands and thousands and thousands when you sell units of, of, of a soundtrack, you're, you're talking about a lot of people that might go check out the show. So I thought it was just kind of a win-win for everyone and I know some very prominent uh, soundtrack labels, um, you could probably guess, um, are very, very interested in releasing it and have been wanting to since uh, November. Um, and, uh, and it is one of those things that always seems like it's on the precipice of, of going through, um, and it, it is not without irony that on um, huge films like uh, you know, Battle of Los Angeles or Fast Five, it's no problem to get the studio to okay the release of the soundtrack, but when you're dealing with a company that doesn't regularly know how kind of it works, they're, they're kind of suspicious of companies coming along wanting to release the soundtrack, I think. I think that's kind of the default position. So it ends up being on things like Lego, with Lego Universe, and with, with Hasbro and um, Transformers Prime, that I think that there's just a bit of maybe um, some growing pains that, that need to happen where they realize this is actually to their benefit. No one's trying to trick them. <laughs> um, but as you can see, there is no Lego Universe soundtrack nor Transformers Prime soundtrack. And since I've actually scored both of those, I've probably had like seven soundtracks released of other things I've done since. You know? Wow. Um, and uh, it, it is it, it's, so it's it's a bit of a frustration just because I'm really proud of it. I'm proud of the series, um, and I'm proud of the score Transformers, and and it's likewise with Lego Universe. And the the also it's not without irony that that. Lego Universe was nominated for Gaming Score of the Year, and here we go with yeah. Transformers Prime being nominated for the Emmy for for Best Score. So um, it is a little bit strange. I don't know quite what else I have to do, um, but something that I'm not going to give up on. And sure. and um, even if it um, maybe gets me in a little bit of hot water for saying it, I think the fans deserve it, and I and I I'm um, I'm going to bat for it. So that's where we well, are. That's greatly appreciated by by the fans. I'm sure I'll speak for them. Uh, if if anything, what can a a fan out there who wants the music to be released officially, though they can buy it, what can they do? What what would you recommend they? I do? mean, I would say you know anyone that's interested in um, a, a soundtrack, be it a movie or or something like a, a show like this. Um, certainly, you know, with Transformers Prime, they, you know, they they let Hasbro know. Um, Mm-hmm. That uh, that they just like it released. I think the more people that do that, the more they'll they'll um, they'll be likely to um, to do it. And and you know, sure. and, and they they've said that they are interested. You know, to their credit, I, and I love those guys over at Hasbro. They're they're great. I think it's just a matter of uh, like a, a a bit of that learning curve. Like I said, I've been through it so many times with studios and released over thirty soundtracks. It's it's really shouldn't be that hard, and I think if you're maybe new to it as a big company and you do have a such a, a great um, uh, product such as Transformers that can be so many different things from toys to yeah. to movies to whatever that they kind of are guarded about um, certain things. Uh, but 
you know, I, I just, I, I think telling them directly is something that uh, certainly will help. Uh, then they'll, you know, you, companies always respond to, um, in one way or another, to sure. uh, the consumer demand. Sure. Okay. Well, then that's what we'll encourage them to do. Yeah, uh, let me. Sure. Let me let me slide in a question. This question is asked by multiple people yeah. um, via Twitter regarding Transformer Prime. And, and I'll just throw in, I was one. I had not heard of that series until I saw the music on your site. And I was like, what is that? And then I went uh-huh. and looked it up and was like, oh, I can watch it on whatever that uh, whatever that right. website is, that um, the, the network that released it. Um, and oh, so, do they air it on there too, on the hub or whatever? Yeah, the hub, that's it. Yeah, they're all, they're all there. I was like, okay, well, I'll check this out. Um, but I hadn't heard of it prior to seeing your site with the music on it yeah i've Um, I've received hundreds and hundreds of emails that say similar things you know um, so yeah (laughs) well well here's the question it comes from at kirk maxwell at monkey butler man and at chris berry and they all ask about your source of inspiration for transformers prime was it was it the jablonski scores did that have any any influence in there or what was your inspiration um no it didn't as much as i i think steve's uh, movies um, the, the scores are great for the movies. Um, it was uh, not meant to be that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. The the idea behind uh, the movies, I think, because it's also live action, it has a certain vibe to it that has that more of that Michael Bay kind of grounded in uh, a certain uh, world that is not what Transformers Prime is. Transformers Prime I, lives more in the world of the science fiction, the true, um, like, mythology of the whole thing as opposed to, like, big action film. And so so I can get a little bit more fantastical to use a word that doesn't exist, or does it? I don't know. Um, Does now. (laughs) It does does now. Um, Fantastical. You you invented a word last time we talked, by the way. I'm always doing that. (laughs) Um, So, so... The the there is a tonal difference. It's almost like um, Transformers, uh, the movie. It, it kind of um, has a, a warlike tone, you know, and mm-hmm. and where Transformers Prime has that kind of is closer to a, the kind of movies like Star Wars in the sense where there's a or Trek, you know, that has that classic science fiction tonality to it. So the vibe can be. Um, shimmery and mythological and kind of magical instead Mm -hmm. of practical Optimus Prime robots are constructed like this and they come to Earth. This actually has a bit of that mythology and mystery to it. And and, uh, I think that was kind of the idea and doing a scene that was very, very, instead of, it was actually a little bit more old-fashioned in a way. It's... um, Even though it has a bit of a contemporary feel to the the orchestration, I think the, the idea of a soaring theme that is melodically um, epic and long, mm-hmm. but has a definite melodic theme to it, I think um, is is closer to kind of older classic scores. The thing that they talked to me very early on about Transformers, the, the, the score that they referenced was actually one of my own, which mm. was still Children of Dune. and. Mm-hmm. Even though they're not really related, if you listen to them side by side, you wouldn't think, oh, this came from this. It didn't. They just yeah. referenced that they really liked that that had an emotional theme quality to it, that, that they really, they just loved that theme. Okay, so the whole idea was for me to jump off and write a completely new Transformers theme with actually no reference whatsoever. There was never hmm. a temp 
or anything. These things mm-hmm. come to me, and they're dry. There is no temp. There's nothing. There's no kind of – it just doesn't exist. So it's really kind of me doing what I would like to do in a vacuum in a way. Okay. So they didn't they didn't even say check out Vince DiCola's score from the Transformers movie in 1980 whatever that was 87 <laughs> <No>. 88 <laughs> No they they didn't but um but uh yeah Vince man I tell you what Rocky 4 that uh, that is the that is the cool there um I like that but yeah no at one point we did talk about like a uh, you know the song, the the Transformers song that was in the movie that yep. ended up being in Boogie Nights. Uh, um, you got the touch. Yeah, um, <laughs> that thing that we were thinking of, like referencing that, like on a ringtone or something like that for <laughs> someone's mobile. Right, <laughs> but it never ended up happening. But I, I thought uh, that would be kind of kind of great. But I don't know, we couldn't get the rights. I don't know what it was. Okay. <laughs> um, well, Transformers Prime is kind of. Um, at least from me looking at your career to date, it's kind of the closest you've done to a, a superhero film of, uh, or project. Yeah, I guess you're uh, right. Um, the super well, maybe Dragon Ball has kind of a okay. Sort yeah. of that's fine. Yeah. Um, there's been uh, it's funny because I've written a few themes that were accused of being superhero when I wasn't supposed to be writing superhero. <laughs> I actually remember that about Terror Tracks. Uh, way back in 2000, and the, the initial thing was like, "Wow, is this superhero-y? But um, <laughs> it's just, I think, more that kind of the fantastical thing that I that I, I do like. I do yeah. like to compose, um, and certainly, you know, especially it was cool doing Transformers Prime. Not only working with Alex and the guys and every everyone over there, but Jeff Klein, who's awesome, um, uh, and uh, Dave, and everyone over there. Like, it's the coolest bunch of guys. Like working on that show guys and gals um but uh the 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 coming off something like battle los angeles which is which i love doing but it has such a serious tone to it yeah um it is fun to jump into something that has um kind of almost like you know a positive outlook of the future you know sure Um, and uh, so i kind of got to have my uh my you know War of the Worlds versus the E.T. kind of thing. There is there is something about it. I mean, certainly there's there's um, peril in Transformers, but at Megatron, um, we obviously know Megatron's not real. Um, but uh, I don't know, or is he? <laughs> uh, I, I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> I am. I think them. the I think the people who think that you have a twin a brother who who conducts or plays drums might think that he's real. Yeah, I. Yeah, we'll find that guy, and then, and perhaps. But I mean, that's well, the thing is, you know, you elevate your your state of uh, kind of credulity every time you you watch a movie, and that's that's the fun of it. I think that's why people, you know, watch movies or TV or or, or play video games. You know, um, yep. kind of go into some other world and and believe that. Uh, you know, suspend your disbelief for just a, a short amount of time, and then go back to, right. You know, whatever you're doing in the day. Absolutely right. Well, you said last time we talked that, uh, you know, when you're a kid, you used to dress up at, like superheroes. And we're kind of in this superhero renaissance, if you will, um, yeah. in the last four or five years and going forward. If you were to do a superhero film, which I would I would guess, maybe presumptuously, that you would love to do that or look at, uh, get the chance to, if you oh, were to yeah. do one, who would be your ideal superhero, whether they've already been done or not? Um, who would that? Oh, what, what superhero oh, would you like to do? So 
So it could be so it could be anyone from uh, from past or present. Yes. Um, you know who's my? I guess that would go down to who's my favorite superhero. I'm I'm trying to think. Uh, I mean, you know, growing up, I was, uh, I you know, I was a fan of the of all the ones that you would think. You know, Superman, mm-hmm. Batman, and the Hulk, which of course had that the TV series that I really yep. loved. I loved the sad theme from the Hulk that always like bummed me out and made me cry. <laughs> Remember poor David Banner was walking away at the end of the show all alone. Yeah, the, can't be with the Lonely Man because, theme. Yeah, the Lonely Man theme. Because yeah. the big green version, you know, it always would uh, prevent him from having a real life. I, I was pretty partial to it. Um, okay. And uh, I, it's not really a superhero, um, so I guess that technically doesn't count. The Hulk? Um I mean, is that a superhero or is it a? Yeah, I, I would, I would, I would say, yeah. I mean, he's a part of at least comic book world. I believe he's a part of the Avengers. I don't. I assume he will. Oh, yeah, he will be a part of the Avengers. The the movie that's coming in. I don't know what year, a year or two from now. So yeah, he definitely counts. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess so. Um, you know, and uh, you know, there was um, there's there's one that's out there that maybe people would. Um, um, be familiar with um, it'd be uh, Captain Adam. I, that's, that's I know it's a little obscure. Captain Adam. Captain Adam. <laughs> this is, this that is from one like, I don't know. Yeah, this is like a collector's kind of thing. Um, uh-huh. It was like uh, DC Comics, um, uh-huh. but it's pretty cool. It kind of it, it plays on the whole, um, you know, like the the whole atomic. It's almost like our our superhero version of Godzilla, um, huh. and uh, I guess, I guess uh, that would be cool just because I, I don't think it's been done at all in any in any in any way. Um, but yeah, I don't think so. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah so that would be your top choice. Yeah, why not? I'll just say that. <laughs> <laughs> I like them all. I mean, in fact, I you know I was um, at one point I was looking at doing. Um, Captain America, um, and uh, that didn't quite work out. Um, but you know, I I'm really I love you know I love all things uh, Marvel, and I've, I've always been a comic guy, and mm-hmm. um, everything from you know what they're doing now to um, you know some of the ones that haven't been done. But but certainly um, you know I, I it's just kind of I think it's hopefully an inevitability at some point that yeah. uh, maybe I'm gonna. You know, find myself um, doing something along. And I, I was actually a big fan of, um, uh, I mean, Fantastic Four as well. Um, it seems like a natural fit for 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 your for your sensibilities to 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 do one. So I hope that uh, some opportunity comes your way. I mean, it seems like you're right; it's inevitable, especially <laughs> the amount so. of them that are being done. I mean, <laughs> it's just yeah, they they're, they're, they are finding you know, I mean, in the way they're all kind of tying them in, it's it's pretty cool. Um, you know, and they are rebooting so many of them. You know, um, and I think the Hulk is living on, of course, and and uh, Superman, of course, being rebooted, and um, and and I don't know if you call him Terminator, but you know, you know, if um, it, Justin does end up directing Terminator and and bringing that all together, that'll be that'll be a blast. Wow. Oh yeah, I didn't I didn't know that was even that was being talked about. Yeah, yeah, he's been talking with I mean um, with Arnold. You know, and actually doing huh. 
full-on legit, you know, taking the Cameron Terminators as kind of gospel and, and oh. running from, you know, going from there. Okay. Well, that would be interesting. Well, best of luck on that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Exciting. Well, well, as we kind of finish up uh, real quick, I just want to ask you about um, your next two, uh, Final Destination 5, Expendables 2. You alluded to them a little bit. Um, how far along are you in that pro- in the process of both of those? Oh, yes. Um, Final Destination 5 is, is coming along. Um, it is uh, well on its way to being um, um, fully realized, and that comes mm-hmm. out in August, and that one is, is, in a sense, a reboot itself. Um, it hmm. kind of does, I mean, it, it, yes, it, it definitely has the hallmarks of a Final Destination movie, but it, it, in a way, it's uh, hopefully going to be as surprising to people as Fast Five was surprising to people, like, wow, there's a fifth, and then they go home. You first hear, like, oh, they're doing a fifth of that? Come on. And then it comes <laughs> out, and it's so much better than people had any clue that it would be. And yeah. it's so much more epic. This thing is shot. Steve Quayle directed it, and he's, the, you know, Jim Cameron's prodigy, and he shot, he co-directed Ghost of the Abyss with Jim Cameron. He's, okay. like, the world's, like, guy with actually shooting in 3D and understanding what stereoscopic is. He's doing stuff mm-hmm. with long lenses and all sorts of things that no one's done. Um, and mm. and I, I was just talking to Jim Cameron about it, like, a few weeks ago. And, mm-hmm. just, and, and Jim being so impressed with the way that, you know, way Steve's going about shooting this thing, and, and, and not just technically, but it's just really exciting and epic, and eh, anyway. Um, mm-hmm. Then Expendables 2 is coming along as well. That's going to be down the road a little bit, but right. um, that's going to be um, really wild, and uh, um, just finished up uh, a, 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 oh, gosh, I was just going to say something that I'm not allowed to say. Oh, but anyway, there's, there's two <laughs> other things that are coming that I'll tell you about <laughs> later. <laughs> Um, okay. And then, um, then uh, Columbus Circle, which is a thriller, a kind of a, a kind of a almost like a sh- charade kind of style, like a very like 1962 style thriller that I, I hmm. scored the movie. Very different. It's like a chamber ensemble, kind of like small small chamber ensemble, and like four marimbas and a bunch of pianos and vibraphones, and it has a totally different feel. Nice. Than a lot of the scores I've been doing, but it's a movie that I also produced. Um, oh, okay. So, so that is going to be um, coming out towards the end of the year, and um, and so look out for all of those. Thanks for listening to this Soundcast interview with composer Brian Tyler. Brian Tyler's latest soundtrack releases for Battle Los Angeles and Fast Five have both been released by Varese Saraband and can be purchased at Amazon.com. You can help support this podcast by clicking on the PayPal donation buttons on the Track Sounds homepage or the Soundcast page. The Soundcast is the official podcast of TrackSounds.com and you can subscribe to listen to all our original podcast episodes for free at iTunes. This is Christopher Coleman, your host. And so until our next episode, we ask you to stay tuned.